Hello, and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. All right, if you would please turn with me to Mark 1, 14 through 20. That's Mark 1, 14 through 20. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Well, on my winding pathway to become a pastor, I spent a lot of time working in coffee shops, uh, working at several different coffee shops. One of the coffee shops was a fancy French bakery, uh, and I got a job there because it was, the shop was located in a neighborhood where I was helping to plant a church, and uh, it turned out to be a great working environment. The manager there ran a tight ship. Uh, she knew that I had another job and was in seminary, and so she was very flexible with my schedule. But you know what I appreciated about her is that she would level with me. She'd be like, you gotta work one day on the weekend. You'd tell me which one, and that's gonna be it. You know, like, and I appreciated that clarity. Uh, she just kind of put it up front. And, you know, and I appreciated how she would address other employees uh, and me you know, at times if I wasn't doing a good job or if something needed to be better. Uh, she wouldn't even be afraid to let people go uh, if they weren't uh, doing the work. And so the team that she was able to create was just a good one to be on, like everybody pulled their weight. Uh, but I got restless and I got connections at a cooler coffee shop uh, and kind of talked myself into a job at this other coffee shop. And by cooler, I mean like go-to barista competitions kind of cool. Uh, you probably don't know about this, it's kind of a, a silly subculture, but there's like people that compete at being a, a coffee shop barista, <laughs> you know, like how well your latte art and everything is. And um, so I thought it'd be cool. And I went into this other coffee shop, which was a, a totally new culture uh, and environment that unfortunately turned out to be kind of awful. Uh, the manager uh, was, was not clear with me and started to get passive aggressive when I would ask for time off to, you know, go to a seminary class or something like that. And so then he'd like quit giving me hours and then I'd ask him, hey, I, can I work here? <laughs> can I get some hours? And then he'd give me lots of hours. At times it seemed like he knew I couldn't work. And so then I, you know, it was, it was just confusing. And, and then there, were, there was a cafe manager and then there was a coffee bean roasting manager and they were like at odds. There was like palpable tension, you know, like the roasting manager would go get supplies and the cafe manager would be like, hey, don't tell that guy, but when you do pour overs, do it like this, you know? And it's like, wait, is this secret? Like, am I gonna get in trouble for doing this? It was just a miserable environment. Uh, and I'm sure you have your own stories of good bosses and bad bosses, good jobs and bad jobs, but I tell that tale 
be, to point out a, a helpful way to understand a concept of a kingdom. It's a place where there's a certain like ethos, a culture. There's a way of working, a way of talking, uh, a way of relating to others that is normal. And kingdoms can be good, uh, promoting flourishing, or they can be bad and lead to anxiety and controversy and maybe not in the coffee shop world, but even violence. We're talking about the kingdom of God today, and I'm, I'm curious. How, yeah, if you think, think back through your time, if you've been in church for a minute, how many sermons have you heard on the kingdom of God? Uh, if you're like me, I can think of very, very few. I think if we were to do a statistical analysis on what is talked about in a Sunday gathering, we'd see a lot about the cross, about forgiveness, about grace. Uh, but the kingdom of God, at least in my experience, has not got a lot of attention. And uh, I'm very excited to talk about it because uh, it, it seems like somewhat like this, this treasure hiding in plain sight in our scripture. Uh, I, I ended up, uh, I was telling Amy this week, I ended up pretty much writing two sermons. I got excited and I had to, you know, cut a lot of things and all that stuff. And so just special shout out to Carrie Lashley helping with some last minute changes as I really tried to dial it in and not get to uh, try to do too much today in, in the sermon. Um, but uh, all that to say, I think there's a lot of treasure for us in it. And, and it's also heavy on my heart that it would hit us the way Jesus wants, wants it to, uh, to hit us, the way we'd hear Jesus' words accurately. So let me pray for us before we dive in. King Jesus, would you be here with us through the power of your spirit? Would you open up our hearts, our ears, uh, give us curiosity around what you're showing us in this good news of the kingdom? Would we hear your call to respond to the good news of the kingdom the way you want us to hear it? Already be softening our hearts and bringing to mind things that you would have us do in response to this good news so that we might uh, enjoy you and glorify you forever. Amen. Well, while we don't use the, the language of kingdoms very often, though it feels like a lot of our movies and TV shows do with you know, the crown and all that, uh, the concept of a kingdom, when you look at human history and what it means to be human, is, is just intrinsic to how we were designed to function as image bearers of the one true king, God. And my main prayer for us this morning is that we would use our God-given power to trust King Jesus in specific ways. I hope that you walk away from this teaching with your eyes wide open to the reality that because you are a human and you are alive and you bear the image of God, you have God-given power to choose what your kingdom looks like and what kingdom you want to be a part of and what kingdom you will trust in and who you will serve. That's the invitation to us this morning. So diving into our text, our journey through the Gospel of Mark, we have a, a very short introduction compared to the other Gospels. Uh, and then Jesus is launching his earthly ministry. After 30 years of living in obscurity, working a manual labor job, then being baptized by John the Baptist, being tempted in the wilderness, Mark summarizes Jesus' ministry like this in Mark 1, verse 14. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. 
is a very simple message. It's very short. Uh, that, and obviously, he expounded on it, as we'll see uh, in, in the coming weeks and months. But the, the message is this. The kingdom of God has come near, is at hand. And then the second part of what Jesus did in his ministry was called people to respond to that message. The, there's the message and the response. The message is the kingdom of God has come near. And the response is repent and believe it. Repent and live like it's true. And these two verses, these, this two, the, the, the themes in this passage are, are some of the biggest realities of Scripture. Gospel, good news. Your Bible might say good news here, or it might say gospel. And kingdom, I, th- I think these are the two most important concepts in all of Scripture. And without a fluent understanding of these two ideas, then I, I think our spirituality can grow stale or get twisted and um, the longer I'm a pastor, the, the more I wonder if the, the lack of attention to the gospel of the kingdom that, that it has over the last 50 years in the church is why the church, big C church, like church at large, is, is so anemic and dwindling. I think without the, the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God, Christianity can tend to be, you know, just either, it tends to fall on two errors, just dogmatic about doctrine and, he, you know, all this heady list of information and facts, or just kind of a flimsy, sentimental, chicken soup for the soul kind of religion that just isn't that compelling against the realities of life. So I, I hope that this good news of the kingdom will give balance to all that and and, and bring, bring the gospel down into our real lives. The three questions we're going to look at this morning are, what is the kingdom of God? Why, what is the gospel of the kingdom of God? Why is it good news that Jesus wants to tell us? And then what should our response be? So to begin, what is the kingdom of God? I think a great way to summarize it, uh, let's start with uh, Jesus. He seems to be like a good person to start for a definition. And in... Uh, the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, kind of one of his pinnacle teachings in Matthew 6, he says this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, in this, I'm trying not to preach about the Lord's Prayer. There's so much good stuff in there. I'm reining in the thoughts here. In this one sentence that we're looking at, where it says, your kingdom come, your will be done, Jesus is using a poetic device called parallelism, where you say the same thing twice in different ways to kind of flesh out what it means. And so he's saying the same thing twice when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. So a working definition of what the kingdom of God is, is that it is wherever God's will is done. The kingdom of God is wherever God's will is done. And it's super fascinating that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, pray that it will come on earth. According to Jesus, the the desire is for God's kingdom, that for earth to be a place where God's will is done, to see the real physical flesh and blood, rocks and oceans and mountains and, and systems and civilizations be a place where God's will is done, not just in heaven. According to Jesus, the kingdom of God, or in Matthew's term, the kingdom of heaven, which you can use interchangeably, they're not to be some escape route that will 
will we'll run away from earth into something different, but instead it's to have God's will be done here on the earth. Now, I want to do a little bit of work on uh, the, the general concept of a kingdom. If we just looked at what is the kingdom of God, let's consider what is a kingdom generally. And Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, uh, which is out there on the book table if you're interested, he defines the general concept of a kingdom like this. It is the range of one's effective will. The range of one or someone's effective will. And this, con- this concept of a kingdom, if you'll stick with me for a minute, have two massive implications. This is a biblical concept of what a kingdom is, and it has two massive implications. The first implication is that you have a kingdom or queendom. You have a range of your effective will. You have people, places, and things that are under your effective will. To deny this is to deny what it means to be human, to deny the reality of how God created you as a human being. And what happens in movies or TV shows when the rightful ruler doesn't step up and and rule and lead? It causes that kingdom or queendom to be a terrible place. And I'm not trying to, you know, blow smoke or pump you up to be more than you can be. Just think real practically, like you choose what you eat, what you, what clothes you put on today, where to live. Uh, You know, a lot of us here chose to move your mini kingdom to a whole new country, uh, to, to the United States. Welcome. We're, we're glad you're here. That's a huge choice, that, uh, a range of your effective will. You, ch- you choose where to work, what to do with your money, uh, how to take care of your house, what your house looks like, what you do with your stuff in your house, how you relate to other people, what words you say. Because we are all image bearers of God, the, the one true king, he's given us agency, put us on the earth with the capacity to choose and act and work because that's how he is. That's one of the ways that we bear his image on the earth. And that stems all the way back to the creation order where he put man and woman in the garden to do what? To work it, to order it by naming the animals, to be fruitful and multiply. Now, we have to be honest about where the boundaries of our kingdoms are. There'd be two errors of this. We can deny that we have a kingdom. We can deny that we have anything that's under our, within the range of our effective will. Or we can d- lie to ourselves and say that our kingdom is way bigger than it actually is. And I would say that for a, a, a lot of our anxiety in life comes from thinking that our kingdom is bigger than it is. A lot of our struggle with anxiety is because we are trying to reign and rule on things outside our effective will. That's a miserable thing to do. We're trying to exert our will on things that God has not given us to control. This is the serenity prayer, you know, from AA. You know, to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. But when it comes to the things that we can control, the space where our will gets done, the range of our effective will, we would be fools to not step up and reign, step up and act and choose and make decisions for the sake of flourishing of ourselves and those around us. 
The second implication of the concept of a kingdom is that we are surrounded by kingdoms, little kingdoms, many kingdoms. There's, there's a swirl and overlap of kingdoms. Like uh, an easy example is, is when you get married. When two people get married, it, it's a clash of kingdoms. We have two people that are used to the range of their effective will, and now they share the same space. Or you're, you know, two or, when your child gets two or three, you know, their will comes online, and there's a clash of kingdoms. And then even bigger, your, your boss's will. You know, you live in, like me working in coffee shops. You live in a little kingdom of your workplace or the state or country that you live in. And what we see in Scripture is that all these little kingdoms that we are surrounded by, and, and, and our little kingdoms as well, fall into uh, fall in to two bigger kingdoms. Ultimately, all these little ones are connected to two bigger kingdoms, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness is the place where the prince of darkness's will, effective will, is carried out. And his will, we know from scriptures, to kill and steal and destroy everything that God has made, to fundamentally break down God's perfect design and in the rhythms of create creation. You don't need me to convince you of the kingdom of evil. Like you just have to scan the newspaper for 30 seconds and see, you know. 70-year-old gunmen killing people or Ukrainian refugees fleeing their homes because of an invasion. And maybe a lot of you who have left your home country for the United States saw a lot of the kingdom of darkness to the point where you wanted to, to move. We see babies getting aborted every day and the pillaging of our natural resources for short-term gain. And it's overwhelming and maddening. It's overwhelming and maddening partially because these, these evils are outside the range of our effective will. This is like why news is kind of drives me crazy because it's just like all oh, this sad, awful stuff that I feel so disconnected from. And it's also overwhelming and maddening because we don't know who to blame. Like where is the, the culprit, you know? Like if we were to take Washington and take everybody out and put totally new humans in there, like would that fix the problem? Would the, would the right president fix any problem? No, there's something deeper it's that there's something deeper behind the brokenness. And it's that it all is tainted by the kingdom of darkness. Out there, all the, other, all the brokenness is from the kingdom of darkness. And if we're honest, our little kingdoms, uh, the, the range of our effective will are broken and not fully aligned with the, the kingdom of God. Richard Lovelace Actually, before we get to that quote, one of the most fascinating realities that I've found in talking with people, like I had a really good friend back in Grand Rapids who was a, a, a devout atheist, is that but we could agree easily that things ain't right, that, that there's, there's something wrong with the world, that we need a change, we need something to make it better. And Richard Lovelace says it like this, in the hearts of people is a groping, inarticulate conviction that if the right ruler would come along, the world would be healed of all its wounds. Creation is headless and desperately searching for its head. This is the current state of affairs. Chaos of competing kingdoms and power-mongering, uh, all ruled over by Satan himself. Humanity is trapped under this oppressive ruler. And in, in, in the world of darkness, we just jockey for power, bicker fights, a zero-sum game, tribal infighting. And this is the context of what we're reading about today is into this madness, this clash of kingdoms, Jesus 
shows up on the scene and says what? The kingdom of God has come near. It's available. So repent and believe the good news. It's breaking in. This good news of God's kingdom coming in to a world torn apart by the kingdom of darkness. Which brings us to our second question. Why is this the gospel of Jesus? What is the gospel of the kingdom of God? Why is the kingdom of God good news? Now the most helpful definition of the gospel of the kingdom is this. Life with God under the rule of God. Life with God under the the rule of God. It's, it's a, a fun uh, Bible reading exercise is like to, to fill in the word kingdom with this definition. You know, Jesus came and proclaimed the good news that life with God under the rule of God is, has come near, is available to us. And I want to propose to you today that the entire story of the Bible is about this good news. Life with God under his rule, being available to, not just when we die and go to heaven, but now on the earth. And life with God under his rule in King Jesus is the story that we're living. And I think if we miss it, the, the, the whole story, if we miss that in scripture, the, the, the story of scripture tends to not make much sense. And I think a lot of Christianity loses its power. And I was trying really hard this week to like write out like a succinct and gripping overview of the story of Scripture showing life with God as, as its rule, and it, it, was, it didn't turn out very good. But then on Friday, my day off, I was reading a book with my daughter Ruby, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to read this book. So this is a little different, but we're going to do story time with Pastor Josh. <laughs> this book is called the, uh, the Garden, the Curtain, and the Cross. We've read it hard at our house. It's actually in two pieces. Uh, conveniently. So I'm going to read this and consider how this shows us the story of Scripture as life with God under the rule of God. And the pictures, the illustrations should be on there. A very long time ago, right here in this world, there was a garden. You can go to the next slide. In the garden, everything was wonderful. The world was full of laughing, and playing, and smiling, and fun. There was nothing bad ever. There was no one sad ever. And best of all, God was there. He made it all. He was in charge of it all. He loved it all. There's a speech bubble. Hello, Adam. Hello, Eve. People could see God and speak to God and just enjoy being with God. And Adam says, Eve, God's here. He wants to walk with us again. How cool is that? Yay, I bet it's going to be even more amazing than yesterday. It was wonderful to live with God. But then one day, the people did a terrible thing. They decided they didn't want to do what God said. They decided they wanted a world without God in charge. God calls this sin, and sin spoils things. Sin has no place in God's wonderful garden. God said to the people, you can't live with me in my garden anymore and he sent them outside to show the people that they had to stay outside god put some warrior angels in front of the garden the angels were like a big keep out sign now things were sometimes bad and people were sometimes sad but people still kept sinning because they didn't want god to be in charge so no one could come into god's wonderful place god said because of your sin you can't come in 
God wanted people to remember, it's wonderful to live with him, but because of your sin, you can't come in. So he told people to build a special building called his temple where he would live. In the middle of the temple was the most wonderful place in the world, the place where God was with nothing bad and nothing sad. It was very exciting. But then God told the people to put up a big curtain around this wonderful place. The curtain had pictures of warrior angels on it. It was a big keep out sign. For hundreds of years, the temple curtain reminded people that God said, it's wonderful to live with him, but because of your sin, you can't come in. Babies became grown-ups and had babies, and those babies became grown-ups and had babies, and those babies became grown-ups and had babies. Hundreds of summers and winters passed by, and the keep-out curtain stayed in the temple. Then one day, God the Son came to live in the world, in this world, as a person. He was called Jesus. Jesus always did what God said. Jesus never sinned. And Jesus visited the temple where the keep-out curtain hung. Jesus knew that things were sometimes bad and sometimes sad. Jesus said that God had sent him back to, sent him to open the way back to God's wonderful place where there would be nothing bad and no one sad. But people still didn't want to let God be in charge. So they decided to put Jesus on a cross to die. It was the most bad thing that had ever happened. It was the most sad day of all time. But Jesus had a plan. He had always planned to die on the cross. What a strange plan. Why would God's son plan to die? On the cross, Jesus took our sin. All the bad things we do, all the sad things they cause, Jesus took them all from us. And when he did, something amazing, astonishing, astounding happened. The curtain tore. God had ripped up the keep out sign. God's wonderful place is open again. Because Jesus died, we can go in. And after Jesus died, his friends put him in a tomb. They were very sad. For two days, nothing happened. Then the next morning, Jesus' friends went to see his body in the tomb. He's not here. And it wasn't there. A little later on, Jesus' friends were all together, and suddenly Jesus was there, alive. His friends weren't sad. Now they were so, so happy. God had brought Jesus back to life so that he could live in God's wonderful place forever. And Jesus has sent everyone an invitation to come and live with him there too. He tells us, God says it's wonderful to live with him, but because of your sin, you can't come in. But I died on the cross to take your sin so now all my friends can now come in. We can live with God forever. There will be nothing bad and no one's sad. We will see God and speak to God and just enjoy being with God just as he planned. It will be wonderful to live with him and it's all because of Jesus. We will say every day, thank you King Jesus, you're amazing. And you can start saying that today. I love that book. That's why it's ripped in two from being read a lot. And uh, I wish Ruby's very shy, but she can recite it from memory. And it is one of the joys of my life to hear her say, thank you, Ting Jesus, you're amazing. But friends, do you hear the goodness of this gospel of the kingdom? We were meant to live with God, be with God, speak with God, just enjoy being with him. 
but because of our sin, we can't come in. So Jesus died to take away our sins. Now all his friends can now come in. And just to bask in this good news, let me read the end of the story. I invite, this is from Revelation 21. This is where the story ends. This is the point of everything in scripture. This is the destination for you and me, for all of us. Revelation 21, verses one through four. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. God will dwell among his people He will wipe away all the effects of our sin, of our rebellion, the brokenness of our kingdom, the the brokenness of other kingdoms that have hurt and wounded us. That's the whole point of everything. This life with God, the very presence of the God of the universe who loves us like a tender father, comforts us and rights all the wrongs, makes all the sad things come untrue. This is how we were created to live. This is how we will spend eternity. Jesus of Nazareth comes on the scene and begins his ministry with these words that, that invite us to this, that pierce the chaos and say, life with God under his rule is now available in me. Repent and believe the good the news, good news. The long-awaited king, the, the head of creation is now here, the one who can fight evil, heal brokenness, and create human flourishing that we are designed to, designed for, that we saw back in Genesis 1 and 2. The next few chapters of Mark that we'll see over the next weeks and months could be described as an invasion of the kingdom of God into the kingdom of darkness. When Jesus is going around healing people and raising people from the dead, it's a direct assault of one of the evil kingdom's main strategies. When he's casting out demons, directly commanding soldiers of the other kingdom, of the opposing army, like, like, he, like you would command a little child. It's here, it's breaking in. Life with God under his rule is available through the person of Jesus of Nazareth. What about the cross? Isn't the gospel the cross? Of course it is. We saw that in the story. The life with God under God's rule is available to us through Jesus Christ, including his death. 1 Peter 3.18 says it like this, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. John Piper summarizes it like this, God is the gospel. The good news is that we get God and the cross is how we Get there. And that brings us to our last question. What should our response be to the good news of the kingdom? What, is it, what does it look like to respond to this call, life with God under the rule of God? Well, repent and believe the good news. Repentance is closely associated with sin. John the Baptist was talking about that. 
But in this context of the discussion of the kingdom, I think we see more clearly a new angle to what repentance from sin looks like. And it means turning our little kingdoms from participation with the kingdom of darkness and choosing practically to embrace life with God under his rule, bringing the the range of our effective will, every part of the range of our effective will into alignment with how God created the world to exist, how God designed human life to flourish. Repent is a verb. It means we do something. And it makes me think about uh, Domino's, the pizza company. Uh, years ago, they had an ad campaign. I don't know if you remember this. Where they, it was basically like a public repentance for having bad pizza. Do you remember this? It was like, they, like we, we know our pizza was bad. Uh, and then and, and they were kind of like making fun of themselves. Like, but it's all new now. It's completely different. We've turned from those old ways of making pizza. And their ad campaign were these funny commercials where they were like chasing down the last couple people who hadn't tried the new pizza. They're like, come and try it. You got to try it. It's a hilarious picture of evangelism. But that's, that's another sermon. Um, but that's an example of repentance. Like, we did it wrong. Now we're doing it better. Different. It's new. To repent means you realize that, one, you have a kingdom and queendom. You have things that are within the range of your effective will. And two, to see that there are parts of your kingdom and queendom that are not in alignment with God's reign and rule, which is the second part of Jesus' call to respond to the gospel of the kingdom, which is believe the good news. Now, I have a little bit of beef with the word believe. I don't think it's very helpful. I mean, it's definitely accurate to what the Greek is saying here. But there's a big difference with what belief, uh, believe meant back then and what it means now. Nowadays, I think when we hear the word belief, we generally think of mentally agreeing that a fact is true. Like, I believe the earth is round and rotates around the sun. I, I mentally assent to that being true. But that kind of mental agreement is not what Jesus is talking about here. That's, that's not what belief meant back in Jesus' day. Instead, belief in Jesus' day meant more like trust or allegiance, which is a, a whole different kind of concept. Like, as an example, consider investing in the stock market. You could mentally believe, you could mentally agree that re- saving for retirement is important. You could mentally understand how compound interest works and all that kind of stuff. But if you didn't actually change the way you lived to have enough money to put into a retirement account, will that, that kind of belief help you when you hit retirement age? No. That kind of belief won't buy you a sandwich when you're 70 years old. Belief in the, in the response to this good news of the kingdom, that life with God is available to us, that the kind of belief Jesus is talking about here is, is like buying in with all our money in, into the, the, the stock exchange of the kingdom. Think of it like, like a trust fall, you know, where you like fall back in those team building exercises. It's trust. We turn from our kingdoms, trusting in our strategies for security and all that stuff, and we, and we trust Jesus. We buy in. We cannot experience life with God under his rule if we are not willing to give up ruling our own lives and trust him and show that trust by changing how we live. 
changing how we live so that we can get life with God under his rule in every part of our lives, every part of our little many kingdoms and queendoms. You guys are doing that right now. Like there's lots of things you could be doing with your Sunday morning and you came to participate in the gathering of the saints under God's word and singing, and singing songs. But the good news of the kingdom is that it's all of life with God under his rule, not just our Sunday mornings. What does it mean to let God rule over our money, our sexuality, our free time, what we listen to on the drive home from work, the, the, the screen time report that pops up on our phones each week that we quickly try not to look at. Repenting and believing means we, we carefully consider the resources of our little kingdoms. Like no matter how small your kingdom is, you have some resources uh, at your disposal. What you give your time to, this is a huge one, is what you give your attention to, like what you put before your eyes, what you do with your money. And at risk of putting too fine a point on it, let me, let me just, at risk of stepping on all of our toes, myself included, let me just talk about two specific areas. First one is Netflix, or your streaming service of choice. Which kingdom do you think controls Netflix? Probably not the kingdom of God. There might be some you know, little glimmers of light in there or whatever, and I'm not saying don't watch Netflix, but understanding the reality of the kingdom and that there are only two. There's not a middle ground. We should be very careful about how much attention we give to something like Netflix. What kingdom do you think is controlling Twitter or Instagram? You, you could fill in the blank. But how much do we let the stories formed in the kingdom of darkness shape our minds, shape our ideas, shape our plans for life? Or we consider the ratio of time we give to the stories of Netflix and the time that we give to God's story. Yes, in scripture, but also time with God's people, listening to podcasts. You know, there's ways to give our attention to God and his story and what he's doing in the world all throughout our days. Time with our brothers and sisters in the church family. So that's entertainment. The next one is food. This is one of the biggest ones for me in my, my life. For most of my life, I didn't even think about food and my relationship to food being a part of my spirituality and my walk with God, whatever. And I was overweight for a lot of my life, not really comfortable in my own skin. Uh, I'd get hangry it, it, you know, if I skipped a meal or was late getting a meal, uh, which is honestly like a sociable, access, socially acceptable way of saying I was mean and rude. <laughs> you know, it's like if it's hangry, it's okay. But if I'm just mean and rude, it's not, you know. Uh, but learning to eat and drink for the glory of God, to bring my relationship to food in alignment with God, life with God under his rule has changed my life. And many of our, our illnesses these days are lifestyle illnesses. You know, uh, our many kingdoms and queendom, queendom includes our relationship to food and drink and the choices we make there affect the health of our bodies, make it conducive to joining God in his kingdom, or make it hard to join God, make us weary and sick and need to step back. And did you know there's a, a long tradition in the church of spiritual practices around food and drink that promote they have incredible benefits for physical health, like fasting, simplicity of diet. They've been around in, in church history for, for millennia, and they're, they're, they're tested ways to bring our lives, uh, our, the relationship to food, into life with God under his rule. I realize these are like very sensitive areas. 
you know, talk about anything but our food, anything but our, but our free time. So if I've offended you, I'm sorry. You can come talk to me about it afterwards. But I do think that if you, like, like me, reading these words of Jesus, feel a little bit of sting, a little bit of like, how dare you? I think we're hearing Jesus accurately. Remember what happened to Jesus. He was murdered. He was executed. And that, a large part because he went around calling people to see him as the master of the universe, including individual lives. He was killed because people did not want to repent and believe this good news, did not want their little mini kingdoms and queendoms uh, to, to change. They wanted to stay in the kingdom of darkness as their own little rulers. And Jesus shows up on the scene and says, I'm it. I'm the inbreaking of the God of the universe. Change everything in your life and trust me. Forget your agenda and trust me for mine, my agenda. But, because, but we, I remember who's talking. It's Jesus who loves us. And he, he would put that heavy call out there because it's good news. It's for our joy and flourishing. It's how we were designed as humans to live. To close, let me share my favorite parable that Jesus ever told in Matthew 13, 44. It's one sentence. The kingdom of heaven, or it's two sentences, sorry. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. I love this. It's so short and punchy, and it shows this paradox there is, in some level, a massive sacrifice that the man did to buy the field that he gave. But he did it in joy. Why? Because is it a painful sacrifice to liquidate a hundred grand of assets in order to buy a field with a treasure worth $10 billion? No, you joyfully do that. There are sacrifices that there are comfort, security, worldly approval, success that we will have to give up to live in the kingdom of God, to live life with God under his rule. But Jesus is clear about two things. One, you can't enter the kingdom with your hands full. You gotta give stuff up. And that he loves you so much. The kingdom of God is so worth it for you to be a part of that he gave his life. He gave the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I can experience life with God under his rule that every day we can say, thank you, King Jesus. You're amazing. Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K A R L roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church. And don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC podcast.